This morning, as we continue our journey through Jonah, what we witness is Jonah responding to God. While the last time that we were in the book, we saw God relenting of his anger towards the the people of Nineveh in direct response to their disobedience, today we see a prophet being consumed by the fire of anger burning within him. Though as we have journeyed through this book, we are all too aware that this is nothing new. Because we have seen throughout this text how constantly the storyteller is using the reaction of others compared to the reaction of Jonah's to show us, the modern day reader, something. Note, for example, how when the storm was stilled on the boat, it was the response of the sailors to fear the Lord exceedingly. But when the storm of God's anger towards the people of Nineveh was relented and stilled, and God ultimately shows compassion, it is Jonah who boils over with anger. So let's just take a moment to catch our breath, to see where we have been, to chart the prophet's response through the course of the book so far, and then think about what its challenges to us today are. We will remember how we started off in the book of Jonah. We saw the prophet in silent opposition to the call of God. And we saw how he fled to Tarshish. On board the ship, we saw how he sought to hide himself away so that he could rest untroubled by life around him. To the extent that only the storm and the dire need of the sailors and the crew on board brought him to his senses. And then we saw how it was that with the help of the sailors on the boat, we witnessed Jonah out himself as one who followed the teaching of God. And the irony there is not wasted on us, because we know had Jonah followed those teachings from the very beginning, he would not have found himself in the mess in which he was. We saw then how alone in the belly of the fish he discovers himself in the presence of God and his faith is renewed to the extent that he goes to Nineveh at the second time of asking. And we saw how he enters Nineveh and how he is met by great success. We saw how even the animals have adopted the posture of repentance after hearing that there is a possibility, that there is maybe an opportunity or a hope that God may not actually do what he said he was going to do, that God may not actually destroy that great city. And how does Jonah respond? Well, that's where we find ourselves this morning. Does Jonah give himself a pat on the back? Does Jonah take a moment to celebrate at being the most successful prophet at all time? He didn't even have to get the whole way to the center of the kingdom, yet the king is coming off his throne and issuing decrees for everybody to repent. Does Jonah plan the book that he's going to write on the back of this story? Or the subsequent speaking tour? Well, actually not. Actually not. 
Because what we discover in Jonah chapter 4 and what we witness is a prophet responding, but responding with great fury. So as we come to chapter 4, what we see is a faithful God alongside Jonah. First, seeking to relieve him of his discomfort, but then challenging him on the basis of it. So what is our prophet's response? Well, we read in the opening words of the chapter we have shared, Jonah was very unhappy and became angry. So he prayed. So right from the outset of this chapter, what we see is that within the book of Jonah, there are actually two prayers. What we have seen is that there is one prayer from the belly of the fish and one from the depths of his burning anger. And let's face it, neither is overly comfortable. And in both cases, our prophet is consumed. Firstly, consumed by a fish, and secondly, consumed by anger. Though, If we remember back to a couple of weeks ago, we will remember that it was when the prophet was in the belly of the fish that he prayed a prayer of thanksgiving to God. A prayer line by line coming from the hymn book of ancient Israel. But as we continue in our passage this morning, what we see is that this time what Jonah brings before God ain't a prayer of thanksgiving. But rather we read, Lord, didn't I say before I left home, this is just what you would do? Here we have the storyteller putting on the lips of Jonah the exact reason for the prophet's flight from God's presence. And what is it? Well, we see that the reason Jonah fled was because he knew what God was like all along. Jonah, in his heart of hearts, knew how God would deal with the people of Nineveh. And what we see is that the prophet could not face the implications of that knowledge. So he flees. And what is Jonah's chief accusation against God, well, it is goodness. I don't know about you, but when I think about God, one of the things that really gets on my nerves about him is his goodness. How many of us could ever say that? When day by day we have seen how, and we have thought about this morning as we brought our offerings, that really, in reality, if it wasn't for his goodness, what would any of us have? And how we come day by day to the realization that God has given us everything in the first place. But for Jonah, God's goodness isn't going to cut it. For Jonah, this goodness is the final straw. The fish was bad enough. He managed to stay there and stomach it, or the fish stomached him. But now what we see is that Jonah just can't handle it anymore. 
Because what we see as we journey through this chapter is that Jonah's distress seems to arise out of the very nature of who God is. Because what Jonah sees right from the outset in chapter 1 is that the very nature of God has implications for him as an individual, but also for the collective community of the people of Israel. And what we witness as we journey through this chapter is that as Jonah begins his barrage against God, what we find is he actually uses some of the most beautiful and richly loaded words in the Old Testament to describe him. What does Jonah say? I knew that you were a loving God, always patient, always kind, always ready to change your mind and not punish. So let's take a moment to scrape beneath those words and see what Jonah actually was saying about who God was and what those terms would have meant for the community in which this story was originally told. But we see that one of the accusations is that God is a gracious and loving God. The word translated generous or sorry, gracious or compassionate is only ever used in the Old Testament when it refers to God. And when we flick back through the Old Testament, we can find a telling example of how this term was used in Exodus chapter 22. Verses 26 to 7, we read, If you ever take your neighbor's garment in pledge, you shall restore it to him before the sun goes down, for that is his only covering. It is a mantle for his body. In what else shall he sleep? And if he cries to me, I will hear, for I am compassionate. What we see What we see here this morning is that God hears. God hears the pitiful cries of a person who is friendless and cold because his only coat has been taken. Here is a God who is touched by simple need. One of the accusations of Jonah against God. What else does Jonah say about God. Well, he says that God is merciful and that God is patient. The word here that we're using is related to the word for womb in Hebrew, and therefore it contains echoes of motherly love. And guess what? Once again, this word is only ever used when talking about God. So what, what image is it trying to convey. Well, in Deuteronomy chapter 4, we read, when you are in tribulation and all these things come upon you in the latter days, you will return to the Lord your God and obey his voice. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not fail or destroy you or forget the covenant. Will not forget you. Then we flick forward to the New Testament, and we all know the story of the prodigal son returning, and how the father was just so ready to receive him back. Love 
another accusation of Jonah against God. But then Jonah also says that he was aware that God would change his mind. And how many of us are thankful this morning that God did change his mind and send Jesus into the world that we wouldn't have to suffer and die, but rather could enter into eternal life through him. So as we come this morning to this message in Jonah, what we see is a prophet whose dialogue with God is quite similar to that of Job. Because if you remember the story of Job, what we see is that Job affirms that we receive goodness and also bad, sometimes at the hand of God. We see how Job was deeply worried and perplexed about God's behavior towards him. But whilst both experienced upheaval in their lives, for Job, the result was a renewed knowledge about God. Because as Job eventually accepts and says, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away, what we see is that Jonah's resistance remains unsolved. So what happens? What happens after Jonah has his rant at God? Well, he sort of goes and hangs out for a while waiting to see what is God going to do? Is God going to be merciful to the people? Is God going to forgive? Is God going to respond to their act of repentance? And we see that he is. Because all those characteristics that Jonah has reeled against essentially is who God is. Because God is love. Because God is a God of second chances. Because God does forgive forever. And so we see that in the midst of the, what I imagine must have been the prophet's fury at this point, God causes a plant to grow. And we see in the passage we have shared how the plant brings great comfort to the prophet. For because for the first time in this book, for the first time since the opening verse of chapter one, we discover that the prophet is happy. The prophet is extremely happy for the presence of this plant. Though what we see is that his happiness was indeed short lived. Because we see how the following day God sends a worm to come and do its work, which resulted in the destruction of the plant. And when you stop to think about it, Jonah should have found it easier to identify with the worm than the plant. Because he, like the worm, seemed to find greater fulfillment in the destruction of God's creation than in bringing pleasure. As the plant brought shade and enjoyment to Jonah. So along with the worm which brought the demise of the plant, we then discover that God sends a scorching wind, which caused Jonah great discomfort. And while Jonah wanted the Ninevites to be torched, he himself was scorched by the heat of the wind. Jonah did not need to be here and didn't need to suffer, but he was determined to stay put. And once again, we encounter the prophet begging God to die. Because Jonah once again is angry with God. But what we discover, cutting what I had planned to say this morning short, is that God 
has the final word in the book of Jonah because his last words press right to the very heart of the matter because we discover God responding to Jonah saying, you had compassion on the plant for which you did not work and which you did not cause to grow, which came up overnight and perished overnight. And should I not have compassion on Nineveh, the great city, in which there are more than 120,000 people who do not know the, the difference between their right and their left hand as well as the animals? Because what we see, what we see as we come to the close of this book is that Jonah had compassion on a plant, but God had compassion on a people. What we see is that Jonah had compassion on a plant in which he had no investment. Yet we see a God who had compassion in people whom he had created and for whom he had prepared and promised blessing. What we see is that Jonah had compassion with respect to the demise of the plant. Yet what we see is that God had compassion with respect to the future of the people that he had said he may destroy. What we see is we see that Jonah had compassion, sorry, that God had compassion on the innocent. Jonah didn't because these were his enemies. And what we see is that Jonah had compassion on himself, whereas, whereas God had compassion on others. So this morning, this morning as we close, this morning as we come to the conclusion of our journey through this prophet, as we have thought about who he was, where he was going, and what he was doing, as we have thought about his responses to God, we are left, as we come out of this book, with some questions for ourselves. And they are these. This morning, if we hear God's voice, what direction are we going in? Are we following? Are we fleeing? Then we need to ask ourselves this morning, what's holding us back? Jonah didn't want to go. This was not going to be an easy crowd. These were people who really had it in for him. Yet, could God be calling us there? Thirdly, what interruption of God is it going to take to get us to go? As we saw, God had a plan. Jonah didn't want to go. Storm, fish. Suddenly, in the midst of that storm, Jonah finds himself relenting and going. Then we need to ask ourselves, do we think we have God all figured out? Because Jonah thought he had, and all those accusations he brought before God were accusations of who he thought God was and actually is. So this morning... Do we think we have God all figured out? We need to ask ourselves, though, who's our Nineveh? Who are the people that we really struggle with? Who are the people that sometimes we feel have it in for us? Because this morning, the challenge really is, is to think of that place, and then this afternoon, find yourself there. Because the gospel is a call to living otherly than you currently do. Because the gospel is a call to get out of the comfort zone and to move into places and be with people that you struggle with. So this morning, 
Let us learn from the prophet. Let us see what the prophet did. And then ask God, how do we respond? Who would God have us go to and tell this wonderful story of goodness and mercy and forgiveness and grace to? Because there are people out there who are longing and waiting to hear it. There are people out there who may not hear it unless you go in response to the call that God has placed on your life. Maybe in your home, maybe in your workplace, maybe in those parts of the city and in those places that you just aren't that comfortable. But I tell you what, see if you find yourself in the midst there. God is going to do something. God is going to use you with all your feelings and and um, fragileness just as he used Jonah. Because what we see, what we see is a city saved, but what we also see is is a prophet's opinion transformed. Because what we see is a prophet who finally caught on to who God was and what he was doing and what he was trying to achieve in the world. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, once again we come to Scripture and we realize it is full of challenges. Challenges us for us as individuals. Challenges for us as we get up out of these comfortable seats and walk out the doors into the world around us. Everywhere, challenge. Yet we know that into the midst of that challenge, if we only but tune our hearts and our ears, that we can hear you. We can hear where you want us to be. We can hear who you would have us go to and what you would have us say, what your message would be. And so this morning, Father, we pray, give us the courage. Give us the courage in spite of ourselves to find ourselves, not even just to find ourselves, but to deliberately go to the places where we're uncomfortable yet the very places where we know that you so willingly and lovingly want to pour your grace out. And in some small way, could we be part of that? In some small way, could we be part of bringing your message to this city, to this country, to your world? Father, move us from complacency to action. Show us those to whom you would have us speak, and may we have the courage to respond and go and not to flee. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.